Welcome to the Abide In Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil? Fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. Hi everyone. I'm out walking today. It's one of those days that is very still, not very much wind, frosty. So it's perfect weather for recording a podcast outside and this is what I used to do all the time this was my preferred method of recording a podcast and you might get a bit of wind and rain and water but there's something about being on the move that can get my mind working and I live in a beautiful place I'm very lucky not just to live somewhere rural but to live somewhere rural where I can step out of my house. I don't even have to get into a car and there are just hundreds and hundreds of trails to walk around in the wilderness, through the hills, the mountains. I live next to a beautiful lock and you never see anyone. So I'm tremendously fortunate to live here so I want to try and take advantage of that more this year and get out and do some walks and just start to talk. And so what's been coming to mind recently is this idea of idolatry. And so I wanted to talk about it with reference to obviously what it says in the Bible but also what it is today. What is idolatry today? It's kind of an old-fashioned word. I don't think many people would class themselves as idol worshippers. But maybe if we think about the world of celebrity, let's start there, where we have these pop idols or film idols that we obsess over, don't we? Isn't it strange that we have these people who pretend for a living to be other people, perform, act, sing, entertain, but it's all pretense on one level, and we worship them. Isn't that strange? And of course, it's not just during our lifetimes, but throughout history, this has been the case. And so why is this bad? Why is it bad to worship Especially when you're young, this happens. Your favourite pop star. Well, I suppose on some level, it's not really a problem. The person that I was really into when I was young was Prince. Not age appropriate or anything like that. When I started to become interested in him, I think I was about 11 or 12. And 
focusing on him and his music and all the kind of fantasies that come along with it about running away from home and living a different life and becoming a singer or a pop star, you can think, well, that's just kind of healthy fantasy and imagination. And it provided me some solace from a particularly unhappy childhood. But it's when it becomes an obsession, when you become totally divorced from reality, and when you want to emulate these people who most of the time shouldn't be emulated. If you look at some of the idols today, and I'm not particularly up to date on who the kind of latest stars are, but even people like Nicki Minaj, or even Madonna, who's still going, Kim Kardashian, all her various boyfriends, Kanye West, various rappers and actors and singers. And what kind of lives are they living? What in fact are people trying to emulate? Well, certainly the lifestyle. So people begin to live beyond their means. Certainly the way they look. When I was young, people were well, especially young women, were trying to emulate all the supermodels of the time, uh, especially Kate Moss. And so this kind of very almost anorexic body shape was in heroin chic. Everyone was trying to be as thin as possible. And now we have the opposite. We have everyone blowing themselves up with Botox and butt implants and breast implants and getting their lips done and... You know, you walk down the high street nowadays and it looks like everyone's going to a Halloween party. The makeup is exaggerated, the clothing is exaggerated. And it's kind of sad, isn't it? That all these young women are trying to look like essentially porn stars. And so it matters who we worship, who we idolize, because often we become like them. And as I said, this has been going on for millennia. And within the Bible, one of the great passages in the Psalms, in Psalm 135, when the psalmist is talking about the other nations and who they worship, Israel worships the God of the universe and the other nations worship other gods and they make idols. And so it says from verse four, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And this message is laid out over and over again, not just in the Psalms. You'll find it in Psalm 135, also in the prophet Jeremiah, also in the prophet Isaiah. In fact, just throughout the Old Testament, there are warnings against idolatry, especially in the first and second commandment but not just warnings, ridicule. And the idea behind it is 
Look at all these people worshipping something other than God. Why would you do that? These wooden and metal images that you're making for yourselves, these aren't going to save you. They can't hear you. They can't speak. They can't do anything. And yet you're bowing down to worship them. Even worse, they were sacrificing their children to these idols. Now, of course, these idols are representing other spiritual beings who these nations were worshipping and are still worshipping today. But the question remains, why would you want to worship a spiritual being that isn't God? And why would you want to worship humans in the form of celebrities? And why would you want to bow down to an image made by human hands and worship that? It's ridiculed. And so the, the ridicule comes from the making of the image. There's a great passage in Isaiah which talks about people who cut down a tree and then create a wooden idol from some of the wood and then they use the rest of the wood to make a fire, to warm themselves by and to cook food on. And it says in Isaiah 44, from verse 16, half of it he burns in the fire, over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten and shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before the block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And so this idea is that people who worship idols lack discernment. They are blinded to the truth because they're worshiping something that is fake. And that's what we have today. People are falling down in front of these celebrities and worshipping them, but they're fake. They're not really who they pretend to be in films or performing on stage. It's an illusion. And it's an illusion, especially today, that is designed to condition us to behave in a certain way. These people are the bringers of new fads and fashions, new cultural norms. And so when we follow them, we become like them. And this is why it's so dangerous. And this is why we're told to worship God alone. The first commandment isn't because God is some kind of narcissistic, attention-seeking tyrant. You must only worship me because I'm petty and jealous. As I've said before, worship is for our sake. 
It's to put us in the right place. It's for us to acknowledge the truth. The truth of the fact that we have a creator who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who created the whole universe. And so our natural posture should be of awe and reverence. And flowing out of that, the natural action is to worship to give thanks, to give praise, that we have life, that we have a universe to live in, and that we have a God who provides. And he can provide because he created everything. And so to deny that fact, based on no evidence, just based on a kind of desire that there not be a God, and then to replace that very natural instinct we have within us, maybe even a need that we have to worship something with these fake people who are often totally immoral, if not amoral, who live this life of overindulgence, who are narcissistic, who are fake, who certainly don't care about the people who are worshipping them, but feed off them through the money that all of these fans pay to them and who are conditioning them to be immoral, overindulgent, narcissistic like they are. To worship people like that instead of God, you've got to ask the question, why? And it's because it's a fantasy. These idols aren't really asking anything of you that you don't already want to do. Yeah, focus on yourself, be narcissistic, be selfish, be on social media continually, keep getting the plastic surgery, keep focusing on just all the superficial aspects of life, how you look, how much money you've got, how famous you are. Do you have the right handbag? Lipstick, outfit, shoes. Indulge yourself with sex, with food, with drugs, with alcohol, with having a good time. Be hedonistic. That's what people want to do anyway. They're not asking anything of you. And so they're easy to worship. If you're worshiping God, which means you're having a relationship with God, you're going to know fairly quickly that he requires something from us. That there is a way that he wants us to behave. And most people don't want to do that. Most people know what it is though, don't they? Most people know, let's call it the moral law, the things we ought to do and the things we ought not to do. I mean, that is being eroded by the day, but I think people still have a sense of good and bad, right and wrong even though they might have very calloused hearts and consciences right now. But they simply don't want to be that person. And these idols encourage them not to be that person. So it's a win-win situation, at least on the surface. But part of the problem is, of course, yes, we do become like these people. And in the end, that is to our detriment, isn't it? Do we really want a world of Kim Kardashians and Kanye Wests 
and Madonnas and Rihannas and Sam Smiths and all these other idiotic celebrities who parrot whatever other people tell them to parrot. Otherwise they're brought down, aren't they? You can't be a celebrity who just voices your own opinion or speaks the truth without suffering some kind of punishment within the media. And so they toe the line because they've sold their souls. They are bought and paid for. And so they have to do what they're told. So do we really want more people like that? People without integrity, people who won't speak their mind, people who can basically be paid off to keep quiet, more people who are narcissistic and just totally focused on themselves. Because that seems to be what these idols are trying to create. And eventually that does change the culture and our society. But do we really want that? Maybe we do. Maybe that's another reason why people don't want to follow God because they actually don't really care if everyone else is selfish, as long as they can be selfish, because everyone's just trying to live their best life. So it doesn't really matter what other people are doing, does it? If that's your worldview. But unfortunately, that doesn't work out either, because if everyone is just very individualistic, narcissistic, self-involved, focused on living their own life, then eventually they will start to hurt other people. Relationships will break down. Whole societies will break down. Because instead of having a set of values, a foundational set of values that we can all rest on, we have millions and millions and millions of different sets of values. And so they're gonna clash. And so that great saying that people use today, when they say, everyone should just be able to do whatever they want, as long as it's not hurting other people. And you think, yeah, that sounds great. I do what I wanna do, you do what you wanna do. And as long as we leave each other alone and don't hurt anyone else, the world will be a better place because we're all just living our best lives. The problem is though, when we say, as long as it's not hurting other people, who decides that? Who decides if our actions are hurting other people? Well, we do, don't we? We do. Because we just justify our behavior. If we see that our behaviour is in fact hurting someone else, we can just explain it away. And so if we are the arbiter, the judge of ourselves, we are always going to let ourselves off the hook. And we are going to pretend to ourselves that when we've hurt other people, actually we haven't really hurt them. Or maybe we'll say something like, oh, that's just their karma and so brush it off. So we can't be our own moral arbiter, unfortunately. We can't become super individualistic and live in a world of peace and harmony. 
we need some shared values. We need a shared ethical system, which is beneficial to all. And people say that they want that when they say things like they want to live in a community or they want peace everywhere. They want all these nations to get along. They want all these people to get along. Why don't people understand each other? Why can't we just get along? Well, it's because of this hyper-individualism that is covered up with the mask of compassion. But really, it's just apathy towards other people. When you say, what other people do doesn't affect me, as long as what they're doing makes them happy, I'm fine with that. All that says is you're totally apathetic to other people and the state of the world. But it sounds nice, doesn't it? You do you and I'll do me and never the twain shall meet. That sounds very tolerant and accepting, but it's just apathetic. We don't care what other people do is what we're saying. It doesn't make any difference to us because we're just individuals and we're just doing what we want to do. Who cares about other people? Who cares if what they want to do is in fact destroying them? And not just them, but lots of other people. You get this kind of excuse when people have affairs and maybe they're 10 years into their marriage, 15 years into their marriage, they've got a couple of children, they're kind of bored, they meet someone at work and they fall in love with this person and they convince themselves that this is the person that they should be with. This is true love. I've made a mistake. I need to follow my heart and be with this person. That is the ultimate good. And they convince themselves that breaking their marriage and leaving their children to suffer the trauma of having a broken home doesn't really matter. Because if I'm happy, they'll be happier. And so off they trot into this new relationship with this person who they love. It's their soulmate, leaving behind destruction and a broken home. And then a few years later, lo and behold, oh, turns out this isn't my soulmate. Turns out I'm not in love with this person. And then they'll move on to someone else who makes them happy, who makes their heart sing, who they were destined to be with. And on and on it goes. So their happiness is what's most important to them. And they leave a trail of destruction and heartbreak behind them. But it doesn't matter because they're pursuing their ultimate good and they get to decide what that is. And so we can all convince ourselves that what we're doing is the right thing to do. And then we can justify our behavior. And when we have a bunch of celebrity idols who basically live their lives like that as well, one relationship after the other, I'm not happy anymore, I'm not in love with you, I'm gonna move on. Kids with multiple partners, so they have no foundation no security, utter confusion. And it's also often people who themselves have had a good upbringing with two parents in the house and a solid foundation 
who then go on to have multiple partners because they don't realise how destructive the breakdown of marriages and families is because they've never been through it. So they're totally blasé and selfish and entitled and just continue to move from one relationship to the other, not thinking about their children at all because they are so self-involved. And this is the society we're living in, right? The breakdown of the family, doesn't matter if you're married. Now we're having these families where there's multiple parents in throuples or, you know, all kinds of weird and wonderful situations. It's like one big experiment. But of course, we've been running this experiment for quite a long time. And what we've seen with the breakdown of the family unit is the breakdown of our society. And it's because we've made happiness or sexual fulfillment or this idea of being in love with people an idol. Much more important than duty and responsibility. I mean, I wonder how many people who actually end up getting a divorce go through therapy before that decision is taken. People are too quick now to break things off without trying to work them out, because of course trying to work them out is the harder option. But if you've got children, that's your duty to try and work it out. But of course, even having children is just a kind of impulsive decision made by so many people. And so when they actually become parents, they're kind of shocked at how much effort, how much time, how much attention is required to bring up children well, they lose interest. And so everything now is this kind of throwaway culture. And all of these huge life decisions are taken on a whim or because you want to have a nice wedding and some nice photographs. Or you want to have children because I deserve to have children. Everyone else has got children. You've got this fantasy in your mind. And then when you get these children that you've created, you're not really bothered. It's a bit too difficult because of course we all want to be living our best life and our best life is not focusing on others, it's focusing on ourselves. So we've got a lot of family dysfunction, a lot of dysfunction in younger generations, a lot of sexual dysfunction, relationship dysfunction, mental illness is what people call it today. And a lot of it comes from just a lack of foresight. Just the inability to think ahead and a sense of entitlement that says, well, if other people have it, I need to have it. Having kids with some of these celebrities is like getting a brand new handbag or a new car or a new pet. And you see these poor children looked after by nannies, shipped off to schools or just brought up in totally inappropriate situations and they become incredibly unhappy young adults, often falling into the same traps as their parents, trying to run away from their problems through drink and drugs. So when you worship fake people, you become like them, and that's what's happened. And so focusing your attention on God, acknowledging God, which is the first commandment, is the foundation of the rest of the commandments. When Jesus is asked what are the most important commandments, when the Pharisees 
the religious leaders at the time are trying to catch him out, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. This sums up the whole of the law and the prophets. All the scriptures, that's what sums it up. Love God, love your neighbour as yourself. And that was supposed to be the foundation of our society. When you go through the other commandments, no idol worship, honouring your father and mother, not bearing false witness, not stealing, not coveting, not committing adultery, that foundation is being built upon. But if you loved God and you loved your neighbour, you wouldn't commit adultery. You wouldn't covet, you wouldn't steal, you wouldn't bear false witness, you would honour your father and mother, and you wouldn't worship idols. And so you could say that the moral law is summed up by worship God, love your neighbour. And maybe we think that we could do the second part of that. Maybe we could try and love our neighbour as ourself. In other words, be of service to other people, treat them as you want to be treated, the golden rule. But a lot of people try and take that ethical system out of its foundation, which is to acknowledge, worship and love God. Because God is the foundation. God, God is the ground of being. God is the source from which everything springs. And so if you try and take these morals and ethics out of the foundation from which they come, those morals and ethics will die. Much like this idea of cut flower ethics. You may have heard that phrase. If you cut some flowers and put them in a vase, you've taken them away from their life source, but you've put them in water and they'll survive for a time. But after a while, they'll wither and die because they've been taken away from the source of their life. And it's the same with moral and ethical systems. If they are just kind of nice ideas that we have in our head, that we think that we've made up for ourselves, bearing in mind, as I just said, we can't be the moral arbiter of ourselves because we always justify our behavior. So it can't come from us. And so if we take it away from the root, it's gonna wither and die. So that is why Jesus said, yes, the most important commandment, love God, love your neighbour. You can't do one without the other. You need to be connected to the source. And you're not going to be connected to the source if you're worshipping idols. And so we've spoken about celebrities. What about other gods or other spiritual beings? Other Elohim, which is the Hebrew. I think a lot of people might think that the biblical authors, the apostles and Jesus, all thought that there weren't any other spiritual beings. The idols were just these wooden and metal images. But they knew very well that there are other spiritual beings. Go and read Psalm 82. Go and read Genesis 6. The idea is that there are many other spiritual beings. 
But just as with humans, many of them rebelled. And these spiritual beings rule over nations, they're territorial spirits. And they demand sacrifice, often child sacrifice. And they encourage people who worship them to just indulge themselves. This is what happened when Moses went up the mountain to be with God, to get the Ten Commandments. The Israelites didn't want to go up. They stayed behind. They fashioned an idol, the golden calf, and then basically had an orgy as a way to worship it. And so just because we're supposed to worship God alone, it doesn't mean that there aren't other spiritual beings in the heavenly places who are trying to get us to worship them. Because they feed off us much like modern day celebrities feed off us. And a lot of people don't realize this. And this is one of the major, major problems that I've spoken about often. And I will continue to speak about it until people start to take it seriously. It is a major problem in modern spirituality and the practices that go along with it. If you are doing DMT or ayahuasca or any kind of hallucinogen, you are opening up the door to the spiritual realm. People know this. In fact, that's why they're doing it. And they talk about all the different beings that they've met and isn't it amazing, all these different realms of reality. And these beings or the ayahuasca plant itself is giving you the solutions to your problems. Of course, pointing out very obvious things like you shouldn't drink as much or maybe you shouldn't smoke as much weed. But people start to worship these beings until they have a bad experience. They have a bad trip. And then they realize, oh, maybe these beings aren't as benign or loving as I once thought. Maybe all of this astral traveling is actually not having a good effect on my mind. Maybe I shouldn't be entering these realms at all. And that is in fact the story of Genesis 6 when the sons of God came down to earth and had sex with human women, creating the Nephilim. It was a transgression. They're not supposed to come down into our reality and create new beings. That is off limits. And it's the same reason that within the Old Testament, and this flows into the new, that divination, mediumship, contacting the dead is off limits. And it's not just a suggestion because it's a transgression into a reality that we are not supposed to be going into. It is called an abomination and in the Old Testament it's punishable by death. That's how serious it is. God wants us to stay in our own lane because we are not equipped with enough discernment to enter these spiritual realms. We will be deceived, which is what Paul says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So people who are out there seeking spiritual experiences, and this happens within the Christian world, I'm starting to realize as well, 
when people are asking for, God, take me into the heavenly realms. I want to know what heaven's like. I want to see your face. I want to see the angels. You are going to be deceived. And the problem with being deceived in this way is that it's subtle, it's not obvious. But over time, your mind will become darkened. You will not have discernment, but you will think that you do. And you will get caught up in all of these illusions. And you'll become very enamored with your own abilities to have visions and speak to spirits or the saints or Jesus or whoever's turning up. And your pride and your ego will continue to blind you. And you won't notice that over time, the energy is starting to be depleted by being in contact with these spiritual idols. You can see it really clearly in the new age. I shouldn't have to point out how many people who start to do these practices become sick, not just with mental illnesses, but with physical illnesses. They become sort of wizened, they age really quickly, and they are totally unable to see how bad this is for them. They can't make the connection with all this sickness, with all this emotional trauma that they constantly have to go through. Or the fact that this law of attraction that they've been using for decades has not in fact bought them the wealth that they desire or the soulmate or anything else. But they still keep on that hamster wheel, got to go to the next conference, got to go to the next workshop, got to get the next book, got to go to the next seminar that's going to tell me how to become rich. They don't see it. None of it works because their minds have been darkened. And so we need discernment most of all. If you're going to pray for anything, I would be like Solomon and pray for wisdom and discernment. Because today, not only are there many false teachers within modern spirituality, whether they call themselves shaman, or whether they call themselves life coaches, or whether they call themselves intuitives and mediums and channelers and tarot readers and Reiki people and all of it, whatever they call themselves, they're false teachers, but also within the Christian world, there are so many false prophets. And we need discernment to know who they are because it's not always obvious at first, especially if we've been following them for a while. And it's the same with these celebrity pastors and preachers, that people make them idols. And so they cannot see what many other people can see who don't follow them, that these people are false teachers. They've been false teachers and prophets for a long time. And we're seeing the downfall of many of them at the moment. But why couldn't the people who followed them see it? Because it's always a shock. The people who follow them are always shocked and devastated. But why? when so many other people can see that they're false teachers? Well, it's because their minds have been darkened, because they are worshipping these people. They are giving their attention to these people rather than worshipping God. And so even though we think we're not idol worshippers, 
even though we think we just really like these people and we're just paying them respect and you know we admire them we use all these different words we don't have enough discernment to know when someone we admire slips into being someone who we idolize we don't have that discernment which is why we have the first commandment and the second commandment because God knows we don't have any discernment. God knows how easy it is for us to slip into idolatry. That is why it is prohibited. And so when you hear people say, oh no, we're not worshiping, we're just venerating. That is a fine line. And I understand where people are coming from. We're just venerating the saints, we're not worshiping them. That is a fine line. And if you don't have discernment, your veneration will very, very quickly turn into worship, will turn into bowing down, will turn into praying to these saints rather than praying to God. And that is when the line has been crossed. And that is when your mind will start to become darkened and you won't even realise it. But when people start to make slight criticisms of that, then you will see people get very emotional. And that is because they've made these spiritual beings, these saints, they're idle, but they can't see it. And so it's, how dare you? How dare you? No, I'm not worshipping, I'm venerating. So we need to be really careful because, unfortunately, we are very easily deceived, not just by people in this reality and world, whether they are politicians, whether they are celebrities, anyone who we admire, public intellectuals, okay? We are very easily deceived by charismatic people, but we are also very easily deceived by spiritual beings. And so that is why we have this prohibition against idolatry. This is why we're told to focus on God alone. This is why Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, okay? You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and fame. You can't serve God and yourself. You can't make yourself an idol and the focus of all of your attention. And God, it's not possible. And so these prohibitions are there for a reason. This is one of the teachings of the Bible that people so readily dismiss. And it amazes me because it is just mentioned time and time and time and time again. And so why aren't we taking the biblical authors who were being inspired by God seriously? Why aren't we taking Jesus seriously? If we say we love Jesus, why aren't we taking him seriously? He warned against idolatry too, as did Paul and the other apostles. Peter talks about false teachers. Okay, we're just warned about it so often and yet we just want to fall into that trap. So the question is, why don't we want to worship God? given the fact that we definitely want to worship something, and we all do, why don't we just redirect that attention, that love, that gratitude, that praise, that worship to God? Because in doing so, you're connecting to the source. You're connecting to eternal life. And you won't be depleted. You will be reborn, revivified you will become a new creation. So why wouldn't you choose that path? And I think it's just because people don't want to confront the things that they need to change. Not the superficial stuff, I'm gonna change my hair color and get some new tattoos and get a new piercing and get a new boyfriend and 
you know, not the superficial stuff that doesn't really make you happier, the real stuff that's going on inside. People don't want to confront it. So they would prefer to worship silent idols. God is not silent. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. To be in communion with God is to change and transform. I'm rereading just one of the best books about spiritual disciplines called A Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I've spoken about it many times before. Please, please, please read this book. It's a very short book, very succinct, very, very true. And in the chapter about prayer, he says, to pray is to change. If you're really praying, you will change. You will transform. And some of that is gonna be painful. And I think that's why people don't wanna worship God. They're afraid of the devouring fire and the tempest because it's going to blow away and burn up all those things that maybe they want to hold on to, but that they shouldn't be holding on to. To transform is difficult. And of course, it's not transforming into the image that you've got in your mind. It's transforming and being transformed into the image of Christ, into the person you were supposed to be. And maybe you don't want to be that person. Maybe you don't want to be self-giving and unselfish and humble and meek and honest. Maybe you don't want that for yourself, but that is what God requires. And so it's always a choice. It's always a choice. And human history shows us that most people choose the choice, the easy path, the wide path, to destruction by worshipping idols, by giving their attention to something which is not God. That isn't going to fill them up. That isn't going to restore them. That isn't going to cleanse them and purify them. It's going to keep them in the darkness. And as the Apostle John says, people love the darkness. The light came into the world and we rejected it because people love the darkness. And the darkness can sometimes come in a shiny, bright package. But those shiny, bright packages fade over time. And these wonderful spiritual beings that you meet in ayahuasca and DMT and astral traveling and in your own transcendental meditations, who are whispering sweet nothings in your ear, are not leading you anywhere good. If you look at people who are charming and charismatic and narcissistic and manipulative in our reality, don't they also whisper sweet nothings? Don't they tell you how amazing you are? You can achieve anything you want to achieve. It's gonna be easy. You just focus on me, follow me. I'll lead you in the right direction. And often they leave you destitute because they've stolen all of your money, or they've taken away all of your self-esteem, or they've betrayed you. Well, it's the same in the spiritual world. These spiritual beings who appear to be loving, who appear to want what is best for you, often lead you to your own destruction. And I hope that some people who are engaged in these new age practices 
heed this warning because it's not some people this happens to. If you're taking these spiritual practices that are put forward in the new age, seriously, it will happen to you. And it'll be subtle at first, and then it's gonna get more serious. And that is why you see so many people online really following in Doreen Virtue's path. Doreen Virtue being one of the biggest new age spiritual teachers of the past few decades, channeling the angels, giving healings, doing all kinds of stuff, until one day, as she says, Jesus turned up and said, enough. Enough, you're leading people astray. She renounced all of her previous books, all of her angel cards and channelings and workshops, totally renounced it all, asked for forgiveness, and warns people about the dangers of those practices. And as she said, I looked happy. If people saw me, then they would think that I was the happiest person on earth, teaching about the law of attraction, teaching about angels, healing people. And she said that she was broken inside. But of course, in the new age, you can't admit that. You just have to put this happy face on. So the law of attraction keeps working. And she was leading people astray and she got pulled out of it. And now there are just so many other people who are doing the same thing, who are breaking out of this modern spirituality which leads nowhere, which leaves you depleted and broken, constantly cycling around in your trauma, constantly trying to manifest this life that never comes. People who are involved in witchcraft and wicker and Satanism and just all of this stuff. Just search for it online. All these people making these videos, coming out of it saying, thank God I'm out of it. Thank God I stopped worshiping these other beings and that I turned back to God where they are healed and restored and forgiven and loved. And now all they want to do is get out there and warn people about the dangers of modern spiritual practices. You're not going to get away with it. You're just not. And so let me lead you in a prayer, in a prayer to God asking for his forgiveness because the sin of idolatry is a serious one and it's because he cares about us and he knows how damaging it can be. So Lord, please forgive us for our lack of discernment. Please forgive us for being easily deceived. Please forgive us for turning away from you and turning to idols of our imagination, idols in terms of celebrities, idols in terms of other spiritual beings who have whispered sweet nothings in our ears and promised us the world but have given us nothing. We recognize the error of our ways. We recognize why you ask us to not do these things. And we're turning back to you now to ask for forgiveness. Please cleanse us and purify us. Please disconnect us from all of the spiritual beings that have attached themselves to us, depleting our energy. Please fill us up, Lord with your spirit and please help us to not focus on these fake idols to turn away from these celebrities to turn away from 
seeking out money and fame and status for its own sake. Because you said, if we seek the kingdom of God, then everything that we need is going to be provided for us, Lord. We just need to have faith in you. We just need to pay attention to you, to be in relationship with you, to pray to you, to humble ourselves, to seek your face and to ask for what we need. And we know that you are faithful to provide us what we need. So I'm turning back to you, Lord. Please transform me into the image of Christ. Please help me to be the person that you want me to be. Help me to know your will for my life and help me to do it. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. So your prayers don't have to be complicated. Your prayers can just be, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Please heal me. Please keep me walking in the right direction. Please help me to walk with you. They don't have to be complicated, but they do need to be directed to the right place. And that is to El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, God Most High. Or my favorite Hebrew name for God, El Roy, the God who sees me. This was Hagar's name for God, when she was cast out by Abraham and the Lord came to her and ministered to her and she called him the living one who sees me. This is who we're dealing with. God Almighty, God Most High, the living one who sees us, who loves us and who wants us to turn back to him, to the source, to be transformed to be the person that he always made you to be. So I hope there haven't been too many distractions in terms of noise or wind or rain today. It's starting to rain a little bit now, so I'll finish and I will put all Bible notes and references in the podcast notes and I'll speak to you again very soon. Bye for now.